following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. Message us at threestrands.church slash contact. So if this is not like a 3SC topic, true and true, right? I feel like this is like the topic that our church was founded on. And uh, I had the, cause, I guess because my life was such a mess, right? And so it's like I've been such a mess in my life. And so I needed a little bit of dose of like God turning me into a little bit more of a success than a mess. And so um, maybe that'll be you. Maybe you'll be able to fit in with this series that we're kicking off today. We're going to look at three different characters over the next three weeks. And each of them were messes in their own way, a different way. And maybe one of them will be the mess you find yourself in. But the guy we want to talk about today is the Apostle Paul. Now, many people in the room have probably heard of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Maybe if you're not even a Christian or you didn't even go to church, you've heard that tossed around before. Pretty famous, right? Wrote more books in the Bible than anybody else. Some would consider him maybe kind of like the apostle of apostles. He and Peter probably like the most recognizable apostles, right? And so uh, wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament, um, planted more churches than any other apostle. In fact, like all the churches he planted were in Greek cities, Roman cities. And so it's like, we really wouldn't even be here today probably if it wasn't for like his ministry because he was the one that kind of kick-started all of the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. And so here we sit today, kind of a hand-me-down from the Apostle Paul's ministry, reading through the letters and the books that he wrote, um, teaching them in our churches. And so he's got a lot of cred, a lot of like street cred in the Christian faith and a lot of notoriety, a lot of fame, right? But there was a, a, a Paul before the Paul, right? There was a story before that story. And so maybe you're not as familiar with that part of his life. And so before he was known as Paul, everybody called him Saul. Now that was something that they did like in Bible times. We don't do that quite the same way today. But anytime somebody back then, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, had a big life change, they would change their name to signify the life change. Now some of us, some, in some ways we do that today. Right? If you get married, you might take on the last name of your new spouse. Right? You change your name to kind of signify that change in your relationship status. Um, and, and maybe you're more familiar with like, you know, everybody knows like a kid who goes by Mikey, but then when they grow up and become like a man, now they're Mike. You know, that was Mikey like back in like the like Corbin London days. He was like Mikey. Now he's just big Mike. Right. And so uh, you kind of grow up and you kind of shed some of those tags that you were known as as a kid. But back then, it was like any kind of big life change, they might change their name. And the name would kind of signify that change that they were undergoing. Or, and so you might know him as the Apostle Paul, but today we're going to look at Saul, the guy that was the Apostle Paul before the Apostle Paul. He was the mess. He wasn't a success. He was just a mess. I mean, he was really messed up. Like, if you think you're messed up, he would tell you he was even more messed up. Okay, And so like, uh, you, you get to this story in Acts where they're stoning Stephen to death. right? Maybe you're familiar with that story, maybe you're not. But they're stoning this guy to death for following Jesus. He's really the first, uh, the first martyr, the first execution for the Christian faith after Jesus died. Right? And so here's this fledgling kind of religion, this faith um, in Christ and Jesus. And then Stephen is put to death for it. He's being stoned and pelted with rocks until he dies. And here off to the side stands this guy, Saul, 
It's the first time he comes on the scene. He's encouraging the people on. He's holding their coats. He's kind of cheerleading for this act of killing Stephen. And that's the first time you see him. But it almost like inspires him. And then from that point on, he's like motivated to crush Christianity. Just to like squash it before it even gets started. And so you see this description of this character Saul. And he's trying to kill people. He's trying to imprison people. Anybody who's a Jesus follower. At that time, they started calling it the way. But just another way of saying Christianity, they just hadn't called it Christianity yet, right? But the way, anybody he could find that was part of the way of Jesus, he was dragging them out of their house, having them beaten, putting them in prison, having them executed. He was a mess, but he was the worst kind of mess. Maybe the worst of the three kinds of messes we're going to talk about, because he didn't know he was a mess. And I've been a mess before, sometimes from week to week, I'm a mess now. Right? I was a mess last Sunday for sure. I couldn't hardly stand up straight. I was so sick. But it's like I've been a mess. I know what a mess is like. Maybe you know what it's like to have your life be a mess. But it's even worse when your life is a mess and you don't even know it's a mess. When you think you're doing it all right, you're crushing it, you're killing it, you're living the perfect kind of life, and yet it's just a complete disaster. That's Saul. So let me read you just a little bit about him. Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to start... Verse 3, just listen to this description of Saul. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. That's the church of Jesus. He went from home, from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Now, I want to read you verse 4 because I love verse 4. It's not really about what we're talking about today, but it's just so cool I want to read it to you. Verse 4 says, But even though Saul was doing that, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. It's like the gates of hell just can't prevail against Jesus' church. So Saul was doing everything he could to drag men and women out of their house who say they're following Jesus and have them put in chains, put into prison, executed, put on trial. But even still, the gospel kept spreading. People kept preaching about Jesus. They couldn't stop it. But that's Saul. He's kind of a mess, right? If, if he were living in McCreary County today, you'd hate him. Right? I mean, how many people would have to walk into churches in our county and start dragging people out, putting them in prison, for believing in Jesus before you wouldn't like them. They wouldn't have to go to very many churches or houses, would they? So he was a jerk. Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to see him coming, especially not the Jesus followers, right? You wouldn't be like welcoming this guy at the door, giving him a visitor gift, looking to shake his hand. You'd be looking to hide, right? He wouldn't be your buddy. You'd dread it. He was kind of like the church's number one enemy. And that goes on and goes on. And we're going to kind of pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, look at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Verse 2, he requested cooperation from the synagogues in Damascus in the arrest of any followers of the way. There's that phrase again, the way. It's just Christianity. Any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He wanted to shackle them up and marched them cross-country back to Jerusalem where they could stand trial and ultimately be executed for following Jesus. He's a mess. But he doesn't know it. He, he thinks he's got it all together. He thinks he's serving God. He thinks he's doing all the right things. And the scariest thing about Saul, right, to me, is that all of the good things I do 
to follow God, to do all the right things, to live the right way. He was better at all of them than I am. He's better at all of them than you are. What is it that you do to follow Jesus? What is it you do to say, I'm living the life God wants me to live? You go to church, he went more. You read your Bible, he read it more often. You memorize scripture, he probably had the whole first five books of the Bible memorized. The typical Jewish child would grow up memorizing the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A lot of them would also memorize the whole book of Psalms. How you doing? Are you better than Saul? Because he thought he was killing it. And all the things I do that I think I'm doing to kill it, that I think I'm doing to follow God, he crushed me at those things. Devout, he was more devout. Dedicated, way more dedicated. But he was just messed up. This is why it's so scary. You can be completely messed up, but think you're getting it all completely right. That's scary. That's scary. And that's where Saul finds himself. So he's taking this trip to Damascus to track down even more Christians. Now I want to read you through the story of what happens along the way. If you grew up in church or you've been in church a lot, maybe you've heard this story. But just kind of hang with me as I read through the plot so we can see what's going on. Verse 3 of chapter 9. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you my enemy? Why are you fighting against me? He doesn't know who it is, of course. He just hears this voice. Some translations add this phrase in there. It's so hard for you to kick against the, the goads. Goads are like on the fence post. You'd put like these spikes in case your animals would start kicking to get out. They'd start kicking spikes. He's like, why, is this, why, are you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against me? Why are you fighting against me? And Saul doesn't know who it is. So he says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Verse 6, he says, now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. I love that. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do now. Get up, do what I'm saying, and I'll tell you what to do later. Verse 7, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So you guys see the scene, right? Saul is traveling to Damascus with the mission in mind tracking down Christians and imprisoning them, shackling them up, taking them back to Jerusalem to stand trial so they can actually be executed, whether thrown to lions, whether crucified, whether stoned to death, whether hung, whatever, that they could be executed for following Jesus, who he deemed to be not God, who he deemed to be heresy, false religion. And along the way, this light, this bright light, so strong, so bright, it knocks them down. Now that's a bright light. Knocks him off his feet, and he hears this voice, and the voice is Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting against me? All the other guys that are there with him, I don't know if they don't see the light or what, but they don't see anybody. They hear the voice, but they don't know who it is either. 
And Saul's like, who is this? He's like, it's Jesus. Now get up and go into town and I'll tell you what to do. And so Jesus blinds them, then he confronts them, then he gives them some instructions. Now, I don't know if, if you were Saul, maybe you would follow the instructions too. I, I think I would. If something knocked me off my feet, you would take notice, you think. And so he, he stands up, but when he stands up, something's different. And he can't see. He's blind. So the guys with him lead him into town by the hand, and he sits there for three days. Like, come on, like, hurry up, Lord. Like, I'm ready. What do you want me to do? For three days he sits there. He's so distraught, so upset, or so beside himself, being blind, being confronted by Jesus on this road, sits there and doesn't eat for three days. I don't know if you've ever had your life be such a mess, and then it hit you all at once how messed up it is. And it's like you, this realization is like, I'm screwed up. And, and it's so strong inside of you, you can't even hardly do anything. You just sit there like you can't even eat. You can't even drink. You just like, just sit there for days maybe. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like the person you got into a relationship with and you thought was the one. And then when the relationship ended, you just sat there for three days being like, they were not the one. It was, it was rough. I was so messed up. I didn't even know it. The job you thought would be the answer to all your problems. And you're like one month in, you hate it. And so it's like you're just sitting there being like, is this it? I mean, I thought this was the answer. We're like, I'm messed up. Like, my job's messed up. Like, we can relate to that, right? You, you, you kind of have this realization that everything you thought was going the right way was actually going the wrong way. And it, and it saps you of all your strength. And so you sit there almost able to process it. It takes you days. You're just sitting there kind of thinking about life. That's the state Saul finds himself in. Maybe that's your state today. Maybe you're blinded by yourself and you just can't see it. Maybe you think you're crushing it, but you're really not. And I want to ask you today, does Jesus even get the right to ask you about it? To like kind of knock you off your feet for just a second and ask you why you're fighting against him? Or, or like, are we so proud that, we're, that there's no space in our world for the fact that I might have something wrong? That I might have messed part of it up? That I might not be as perfect as I think I am? Or as I claim to be on Facebook? That I might be messed up underneath and need Jesus to confront it? Is there even space in your world for that today? So you come to Paul, or you come to Saul, and he's kind of, and, and I was thinking this week, there's like the old Saul and, the, and then the new Saul who became Paul, right? And the old Saul is this guy sitting there, blinded, where all of his words, all of his attitudes, all of his actions have been standing in opposition to God, even though he thought he was doing a lot of the right things. You think you're God's friend, that you're on his side, but actually, you're an enemy of the cross of Jesus. All right. I want to see if I can help you today. Because if this is you, you don't know it. If it's me, I don't know it. So here's how you're going to know it. You ready? Here's how you can identify it. Look at your life and just start to make a list in your head. Just start to make a list in your head. Of all the things you do, you ready? Not, not to please God, not to get it all right, 
Start to make a list in your head of all the things you do to help Jesus' good news spread further. All the things you do that make you a friend of the cross of Jesus Christ. All the things you do that take the good news about Jesus and spread them to other people. And if you can't think of anything to put on the list, it's possible that you're really the enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you just think you're doing it all right. And I don't like it either. Like, like I've had this conversation with the Lord a lot. We're like, God, can't, can't I just like pastor the church where I can come in and just be like, you guys are awesome. We're all doing it great. Let's just keep up the good work. But then like every time you open the Bible, you're like, oh man, I'm kind of screwing that part up and I'm screwing that part up and I'm screwing that part up. And so we got to like deal with it. How do I know if I'm an enemy of the cross of Jesus? Well, am I promoting the cross of Jesus? Or am I nailing him to it again every day? Am I doing the best I can to spread his message? Or am I suppressing the message? And there's a lot of things in my, a lot of times in my life where I'm convinced to shut up about the message. I'm convinced it's not the right time. It's not the right location. This isn't the right crowd. I'm too tired. I'm too sick. My head hurts. Those people won't understand. I just don't know enough. You don't know what I'm like. Lots of reasons that I convinced myself to suppress the message. That's the old me. Now watch. Here's what happens to Saul. He's sitting there for three days. Verse Verse 10, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, this is great, go over to Straight Street. I don't know we get, why we get the name of the street, but whatever. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. This is exactly what I would be like if I was Ananias. God says, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. I've heard the stories about this dude. Like I know what he's like. I love that when like God kind of shows you something in his word or you go to church and God kind of like takes the mask off. Ironically, like Saul was like on the road to Damascus. I like that. That's pretty good, right? Damascus. And it's like some of us like needed to come to church today. It's like our road to Damascus. Like God, like take the blinders off so I can actually see. But I love it when like God tells us something through his word or we come to church and we hear something preached or we're talking to somebody who loves Jesus and they kind of challenge us in some area. And like our first response was like, that can't be right. Like, Lord, that, that, you, you must have messed this one up. Like, I know how that's going to play out. Like, who, who are you talking to here, Jesus? Like, like, I know, I mean, obviously I know better than you, like, how it's going to work out. Like, God didn't know who was sitting there waiting. Like, no, 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 I can't go there. That guy, he's got a reputation. And he's like, Jesus like, I know his reputation. I just talked to him about it. And so I love, like, Jesus' response to Ananias in verse 15. I won't go, I won't go into all the detail, but the beginning, he just says, like, get going. He's like, Go. 
I know who you're going to see. You could read the rest on your own there if you want. But he's like, I know who you're going to see. I know exactly who Saul is. And I've already called him to do something great for me. Get going. And so Ananias heads over to Straight Street to look for Saul from Tarsus and to lay his hands on him and pray with him. And, and so verse 17 says he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, I love that. It's like, Lord, don't send me to that guy. Then he sees him. He's like, what's up, brother? You know, it's like acting like I wasn't just talking trash about you like a minute ago. It's like, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, and instantly, something like scales fall from Saul's, fell from Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. Verse 19, afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Did I mess that up? Afterwards, he ate some food, regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? But Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. The new Saul. Here's the new Saul. You ready? He's living in the truth. The truth that he's been fighting against God this whole time. But he doesn't want to live that way any longer. So he sits down without eating or drinking anything for like three days. He thinks about his life and he prays. At some point, he repents about the way he's been. He surrenders his will, his attitudes, his emotions, his choices, all of his future to Jesus. Kind of declares that he will be his Lord no matter what it costs him. And it was going to cost him. From that moment forward, Jesus would be in charge of his life no matter what. He began preaching instantly, telling others about the goodness of God that's available for them. The same goodness that he graciously gave to Saul. He had a new mission in life to follow and serve Jesus Christ. And nothing was going to keep him from that mission. And everything would try. And so he would go on to be beaten, to be shipwrecked, to be bitten by snakes, to be ridiculed. To have everybody around him with trust issues because nobody believes that he's really converted, he's really changed. And I don't just mean like the people in the world. I mean like the Christians didn't buy it. They didn't want to be around him either. He goes back, you read all of chapter 9, he goes back to Jerusalem and even the apostles, other apostles don't want to be around him. They're like, we know what this guy's like. That was his life. History records that Paul would eventually be executed by being dipped in boiling hot oil. Burned to death. And all of that changed in this moment. He, he went from the old me to the new me. So some, some kid was like getting executed out there just a second ago. I don't know if any of you heard that. but it's like <laughs> Hopefully we're not that kind of church, but <laughs> that was rough. But uh, he went from the old me to the new me. I got an old me and a new me. Sometimes the old me still shows up, and I'm just like, here's the thing. I was trying to figure out, they're still torturing that kid. <laughs> I thought it was over, but it's not. He's back to the old me. But it's like, 
So I was trying to figure out what changed. I wanted to like spell out for us as a church what changed for Paul, for Saul to transition to Paul, for Saul to go from the old me to the new me. And, and let me start you off with what didn't change. Can I do that? Here's what didn't happen that made Saul convert or change or become the new him that God intended him to be. Here's what didn't happen. He didn't clean up his act. He didn't go out and make any amends. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that needed like the 12 steps? How about like knocking on some doors and be like, sorry, I had your child executed. He didn't do that. He didn't get into church. He didn't like have to go back to school and get re-educated in the ways of Christianity. He didn't do any of that stuff that we all seem to think we need to do to go from the old me to the new me. There was no waiting period. He didn't get put on a shelf somewhere. He didn't have somebody tell him, like, well, you're not really qualified to preach the good news about Jesus. He just immediately started telling people what Jesus had done for him. Immediately. He stands up. He can see again. He gets something to eat because he hadn't eaten for three days. That makes sense. He gets baptized so everybody knows he's with Jesus. No turning back. He starts preaching instantly. What's he preaching? That Jesus is the Son of God and that he saved me. That's it. That, that's kind of what happened. And the only thing that kept Paul, as, that kept Saul as the old person and, and kept him from becoming the new person was the in-between person. The only thing that stands between the old you and the new you is the in-between you. And what happened on the in-between you, what happened for Saul in-between, was Jesus had to knock him on his butt. And that's almost always what has to happen for me. In fact, that's almost always what has to happen for every single person who becomes a Christian. You can take out of the equation kids that become Christians. Because I love it how Jesus, like, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like he knew children would trust him more than we would. But if you find an adult, you find somebody that's about 16 years old or older that becomes a Christian, and I'll almost always find you somebody whose life just sucked. And God had to knock them on their butt for them to realize, I thought I was doing it all right, but I was really a mess. And if that's not you, if you look at your life and you're convinced you're doing it all right, if you look at your life and you're convinced that you're crushing it all, you're nailing it all, then Jesus can't help you. You know what else, you know what else Saul, who became Paul, never did? He never forgot what he used to be. He never ran away from it. He never tried to hide from it. He never posted anything on social media about how he used to be all messed up, but now he's perfect. He just kept owning how screwed up he was. And every time he got weak, Jesus got strong. And every time he bragged about his own failures and his own infirmities and his own shortcomings, Jesus would rise to the top and rescue people. The only thing that stood between the old him and the new him was getting knocked on his tail by Jesus and having Jesus confront him in his sin and then tell him what to do. 
And the only thing that changed was he finally said he'd do it. He was like, I'll do it, whatever you say. I didn't even know I was screwing it all up. Jesus didn't make him pay penance. He he didn't make him make up for all the mistakes he made. He's just like, get going. Preach. Tell him about me. You're in it for me now. You're going to be my mouthpiece, my messenger. That's how it goes. Saul had to be blinded before he could see. But that's how it goes for us. Sometimes blindness is a blessing. And what we should be praying, what we should be asking God for each day is, God, knock me off my feet. Blind me to all the lies so that all I can see is the truth. Blind me to all the ways I think I'm killing it so I can finally see exactly what you want me to do and be. Sometimes it's a blessing. That's it. Jesus just blinded him. He confronted him. He instructed him. When you came to church today, I've been praying for you all morning. This is my goal this morning. You ready? That you would come in here and get blinded. And that I'd be able to confront you. And that Jesus would be able to give you some instructions. That's it. That you would be blinded from the lies. That you'd be confronted about being an enemy of Jesus. And that he'd be able to instruct you and say, now just go out and follow me. And you might say yes. Not because I've got it all right. I'm just like you. Not because, you know, you got to put in some time to catch up to my level or somebody else in this room. Like, there's none of that in between. But just Jesus knocking you down, saying you haven't been getting it all right. You've been my enemy. But that can all change right now if you'll just follow me. I mean, where else are you going to go for answers? He's the only one that can save you. He's the only one that died for you. He's the only one strong enough to rise from the dead for you. He's the only one that came from heaven to become this little baby for you. Don't you get it? Like Jesus' cross proves that nobody would love you like he loves you. And Jesus' tomb proves that nobody had the power that Jesus has. And so he shows you all this perfection. That he loves you with compassion. He meets you in between. He says, you don't have to stay the old you. You can be the new you. And I want you to just see it again in verse 29, who Saul was surrounded with. Here, in verse 21. Did I say 29? Verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed. This is what they said. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? And in the very next phrase, verse 22, but Saul's preaching got more and more powerful. I get it. There's going to be people all over out there and all around in here who aren't going to believe you're different. They're going to think it's just a game. You're just running a con. You're not really, put in some time and then we'll believe you're serious about Jesus. They're going to doubt you. They're going to be skeptical. They might even, like in this case, a lot of them tried to kill Saul the rest of the chapter. They took up stones to stone him because they didn't believe him. And the ones who did believe him just decided he was a fanatic now too and wanted to off him. And that's how it's going to be for you. 
There's going to be doubters. There's going to be haters. There's going to be those that don't believe you changed. But it's okay. They did the same thing to Saul. And as he preached, it just got more and more powerful. I heard this story this week about a farmer who had a, a donkey that was getting older. And so he felt like he needed to put the donkey out of its misery. He needed to, like, I don't know, what do, you, what, do you, what do the country folks say? Like, kill the donkey. I don't know what they say. Put it down or something. I don't know what they say here. It's like they want, he wanted to put the donkey down, Kenny. He wanted to put the donkey down, right? And, uh, but he didn't have the courage to shoot the donkey. He had become like friends over the years with this donkey. And so he didn't have the courage to just like take it out back and shoot it. And so instead he decided on his property, there was this old rundown, not in use anymore well. And he was going to take the donkey, put the donkey in the well, and then just bury the donkey alive because he couldn't shoot it. And so he puts the donkey in this well. That's that's why we don't let the kids in the church service. My kids would be crying right now. So he puts the donkey down this well and he starts to shovel scoops of dirt on top of the donkey. And the donkey's down in the abandoned well and he feels this dirt hitting him on the back. And he's like, what's going on, you know? And then the dirt starts to fill in. The donkey realizes like I'm being buried alive. But then at one point, the donkey realizes if he just shakes his back, that all the dirt would fall off him. He could just step up onto that pile of dirt. And so the farmer keeps shoveling dirt into the hole, but every time the donkey just shakes its back, the dirt slides off and the donkey steps up a little higher. That's exactly what your Christian life's going to be like. People are going to be trying to bury you alive, throw dirt on you, throw shade at you, doubt your conversion, pretend like you can't really be a follower of Jesus because I know what you're really like. I know how messed up you are. But you can just shake that off and keep preaching. You can just shake that off and step up to a higher plane. You can just shake that off and keep following the Lord. doesn't matter what they think. Are they the ones who justified you anyhow? Are they the ones who made you qualified in the first place? If they didn't qualify you, why are we letting them disqualify us? Why are we so concerned with everybody else's opinion? When God calls us holy... When God calls us to step up, when God calls us to preach instantly, why are we waiting for somebody else out there to okay it? Why am I waiting for somebody else in here to okay it? That's what God does. He calls us, knocks us on our tail. He says, stop being my enemy and start following me. There's this cool story in Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm not going to read it all to you, uh, but you can look it up on your own if you want. But in Jeremiah chapter 18, God comes to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, I've got a message for you to give to my people. I want to uh, show it to you first. Um, and so he says, uh, and so he says, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and he opens the door and inside is this potter sitting at the spinning wheel and he's making something out of clay. And, and, and he looks at it and the pot is messed up. And as Jeremiah is watching, the potter takes all the clay off the wheel, smushes it back up, sets it back down and starts over. And he says, now go tell my people this message. This is the message he says. 
Tell them that you're the clay. I'm the potter. You're in my hands. You're messed up. It doesn't matter. I'm not throwing you out. I'm just going to press a little harder in one spot. I'm just going to reshape you. I'm just going to form you. You're mine. Go tell my people this message. You are my clay. I am your potter. I will keep making you and pressing you and forming you until you're exactly what I want you to look like. Doesn't matter what other people say. I brought this. I brought this clay today. I was going to make something out of clay, but that would that would probably be a fail. But then as I was like getting ready this weekend, my kids about I don't know, several months like a year ago maybe we did this. We got clay for a family night and everybody made something. So this Sydney's don't make fun of her when you see her. She is very embarrassed about this. She brought this to me this morning or last night. And uh, she made this bowl out of clay a year, about a year ago. And now she looks at it and she thought, it's not very good. Like back when she did it, she thought it was awesome. But now she looks at it and she thinks it's not very good. What God is saying is like, that's okay. So what? So you're a mess. It's okay. He's just going to reshape it, reform it until it's perfect. And he'll just keep working on it until he gets it all perfectly the way he wanted it to be. That's what God's trying to do for you today. He's not trying to beat you over the head because you came to church. He's not trying to convince you you're on some tiered system where you're better or worse than other people who say they're Christians and you got to just keep trying to like raise up on the ladder. That's all garbage theology. No, you're just in between. In between the old you and the new you. And the only thing standing in your way is if you'll allow when God knocks you to the ground, if you'll allow him to confront your sin and then give you some instructions and you'll just say, you're right, Lord, I have been your enemy. But from this day forward, I will follow you. That's the new me. That, that's what God's trying to do. You might think you've messed up your life beyond repair, but that's God's specialty. He makes masterpieces out of messes. That's what this series is all about. God takes messes and turns them into successes. That's what he's trying to do for you today. And you don't even have to do anything to make it happen. All you got to say is like, yep, I'm ready. What's next? You want me to believe that you died for me? Sounds hard to believe, but if you say so, I'll believe it. You want me to believe that you rose from the dead just to pay the punishment I deserved? Sounds hard to believe, but if you say to believe it, I'll believe it. You want me to tell the people I work with about you, even though it might cost me my job? Sounds hard, but if you say to do it, I'll do it. This isn't the time. I'm at a family get-together for the holidays. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about religion or politics, but if you want me to talk about you, Jesus, I'm going to preach instantly about you. You want me to leverage my money? and my time, and my talent, all my abilities for you? Yup. Okay, Jesus, it sounds hard. I, I may not get it all right, but just keep pressing on me. Wherever you want me to change, just keep pushing. Just keep making it known to me. And that's how it is. We've all got a past. We've all got a future. You're no different than me. We're all the same. We're all in this. We all need the same grace from God that each other needs. 
When I was a kid growing up, my favorite Bible verse was Psalm 37.4. I don't know if you know Psalm 37.4. It's on some wall art at Hobby Lobby, I'm sure. But it says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But then I grew up. And that is a good verse. But I was so messed up, it's like I needed a different verse. That was like too easy for me. And, and I was like, man, my life screwed up. And so about 15 years ago, God gave me this other verse that I've kind of adopted as like my life verse. Life verse is like a verse that really means a lot to you personally. And so he gave me this new verse like 15 years ago. It's something Paul said later in his life. Um, years and years later, after he had had this in-between moment and he had lived almost like this full life of just following Jesus, he writes a letter to this young preacher, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, he reveals why God puts us through this process. This is what he said to him. He said, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. That way other people could hear about it too and know that they too could believe and receive eternal life. Do you get it? This is Saul's story. He never ran away from the old him. He just recognized he was messed up. And he held on to that the rest of his life. He wasn't trying to get better. He was just following Jesus. And Jesus was using all of his messed up stuff, all of his weaknesses, to reach more and more people as he preached with more and more power. This is why God does it. He's patient and loving and waiting for you in your mess. He's ready to turn you into the new you. And I get it. Some of your mess wasn't even your fault. I got it. And some of it hurts. And, and you don't even like to think about it. But that's okay. The, the greatest healing comes out of the greatest hurting. How could God do some great healing if there wasn't a great hurting? It's like you need one to have the other. Maybe you've been running away from your mess, trying to put on the mask on Facebook and Instagram so everybody thinks you got it all together. When God's looking at you and saying like, let me knock you down. Why, why are you trying to front like you're coming up? Like you're getting it all pulled together. That, that's not my way. My way is you stay weak. You stay humble. You stay well aware of the messed up you that I'm punching and working on and pushing and molding. You brag about that because that's where I'm doing my greatest work. So I want to ask you guys today, would you have enough courage today? Now, some people won't. Some people in the room will not have ears to hear or eyes to see. It's always like that. It's okay. I still love you. But for those of you that do, for those of you that feel like life has got you knocked down on the ground and you're just sitting there, not sure how you even messed it up so badly, in this moment, God is just reaching out to you saying like, don't fight against me anymore. Just believe. Just trust me. And I'll show you what to do with the next step and the next step and the next step. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's no fancy prayer to pray. I'm not going to ask you to walk down the aisle or me to put my blessing over you. Or all. 
None of that's necessary. Just you right now, blinded on the ground, God looking at you saying, why have you been fighting against me? Why have you been persecuting me? Why have you been my enemy? Will you follow me? Get up and get moving. And you just have to say, here I am, God. I'll just move. I'll just go where you say. I'll just believe what you tell me. Just from this moment on, I'm yours. No turning back. And in that moment, you just transitioned from the old you to the new you. You just crossed over from death to life. You just became a Christian. You just became a follower of the way. Whatever language you want to use to describe it, in that moment, God saved you and resurrected you to new life. Will you close your eyes with me as we close today? Just want to give you 10 seconds on your own. Just 10 seconds before I pray for you. 10 seconds to just answer the call of Jesus on your life. Maybe you came in today and he's used this sermon to knock you on your tail. To convince you you're messed up even though you thought you were doing it all right. And if that's the case, will you have the courage to just in your heart right now say to him, no more. No more will I be your enemy, Jesus. No more will I persecute you. No more will I work against you. From now on, from now on, I'm following you, no turning back. And in that moment, Jesus will save you. You don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to make amends. You don't have to have all the good stuff outweigh the bad stuff. He will just save you because that's how great and powerful he is mixed with how merciful and loving he is. He's been chasing after you your whole life to bring you to this moment. It doesn't matter if you're a mess. He makes successes out of messes. Will you let him today? Let me pray for you. Dear God, will you give people in this room courage right now to respond to the truth of your word? Will you give them the courage it'll take to just look back at you and say, yes, from this moment on, I will follow you. I will trust you. I will believe you no matter what it costs me, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what I even feel, I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you will start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. And be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.